All right, so we are on a week three of We Are Family, looking at the dynamics of what makes a healthy family. We want to be life-giving, life-receiving community. Um, that I think a healthy family is marked by health, health and wholeness. And I think that's a progressive journey uh, that, that takes uh, time and it takes commitment and it takes uh, people. Um, last week, I gave a message on the cross um, that the cross, I, I did it out of this verse, and this is Ephesians chapter 2. Um, where it says, in himself he, make, he made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, that he might reconcile them in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. In other words, uh, the cross was God's tool to destroy all the things that created division in this world, all the things that separated families and made uh, God's kids begin to associate themselves as strangers um, and begin to identify themselves by differences rather than uh, the fundamental reality that we're all children of God. So uh, we had sin enter, and the cross came, and it destroyed the enmity so that we could become one again. And he's talking Jew and Gentile in Ephesians 2, which in his world was the most extreme form of racism, racism that existed. So he's uh, speaking uh, very powerfully into this idea that the cross, we have to understand the cross if we're to become a healthy family. Does that make sense? I talked last week that there's the cross uh, is not a, a symbol of victory. It's often confused with that because we wear it on gold chains and it's on high towers and we've closely identified it with the resurrection, the empty grave, but it is not a picture of resurrection. The cross does one thing. It always did one thing. It always will do one thing, and that it was an instrument of death. <laughs> Sobering, right? Who's feeling happy now? Who wants to leave? Yeah, the doors are locked. Just joking. Okay. The cross is not a picture of victory, but it is a picture of suffering love, where Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came, bled on a cross to demonstrate how the depths and the length of how far he would go to have us back. Uh, three components of suffering love, compassion, hospitality, and then forgiveness and mercy. Uh, which I see very hand-in-hand. Hand. Last week talked about compassion. This week I'll be talking about hospitality. Doesn't that sound boring? Gosh, it sounds boring. It's not, but it sounds boring, so bear with me. What is hospitality? I would define it in this way. It's to make a stranger feel at home. That's the gift of hospitality. Who knows a hospitable person in their life? Yeah, my mom's my hospitality. She's my home wherever I am. Even now, her house is my home. <laughs> if you saw me in John's home, <laughs> you would know why. <laughs> but she's hospitable. And there's a natural sense of, the, of, of someone that's hospitable. You can create home, right? You don't, there's no stranger to a hospitable person. Jesse, who knows Jesse out in the lobby saying hello? Probably the first time you met him, you all have a Jesse story, right? Oh, I remember when I first met you, it was like we were long-lost friends. We had known each other forever, right? That's hospitality. You make me feel at home when I'm around you. That's in a natural sense. These people will have, like, gifted, they'll have nice homes, they'll cook you dinner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they make you feel at home. There's also a spiritual sense, and that's really what I'm going to focus on tonight, is there is a spiritual uh, hospitality that we're called to embody as Christians, and again, hospitality is to make a stranger feel at home. And so spiritually speaking, the gift of hospitality is actually supernatural in the sense that where's home for us? Heaven. It's not here. This isn't home. Heaven is home. 
And so you actually have an ability and we have a call and a duty to make the world feel at home with Jesus. That's home. Seated at the right hand of God. Face-to-face communion, that's home. So hospitality, in a spiritual sense, is you create an environment that is like home, that is like heaven, wherever you are, and you bring people, you have a, a space to bring people into communion with Jesus. The church has failed at this miserably for this reason. We've become so um, conformist in our thinking that, that everyone needs to conform to our doctrinal beliefs, that there's only one God, uh, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus died on the cross. Like, right, these, these, are, these are foundational beliefs of Christianity, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But we meet people that are not Christians, and we've been so wired that they need to align to our doctrine that we've actually, we've actually lost the ability to let people find home in us in the presence of God. Right? We need to get the, we, these things are good, right? Like these help us. Truth sets us free, but it's, it's Jesus that saves us, right? And we've failed at being hospitable, um, spiritually speaking, because we're so, we're so conformist thinking. Conform, conform, doctrine, doctrine, beliefs, beliefs, beliefs. And we get all these things. And an example I can say is I've done a lot of ministry in like New Age. Maybe not a lot, but I've done a fair amount of ministry in the New Age spirituality community. They will have all kinds of experiences and all kinds of language for a higher power or God or gods or whatever, right? Anybody can, you know, you probably get enough of the gist even if you don't have experience. What I will do when I'm ministering to them in an evangelistic sense is they start sharing with me things that offend a lot of Christians. And I, I, ha- I've, I have uh, one particular relationship in my life. He tries to offend me with sharing his spiritual stuff, which is real to him. But he can't figure me out because I don't get offended. I'm actually, I just create space, and then I, I'm always just talking and connecting it to Jesus in any way I can. I'm trying to actually find a place to make you feel at home in the presence of God in me. I'm not getting offended up here in my mind and trying to get you to conform to, no, nope, no, nope, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. That's not even my goal. My goal is simply to let them feel the presence of Jesus because that's what every heart is longing for. You following me? The church cannot be an orphanage where we save people and we all gather together and we wait for one day when our Father is going to come get us and bring us home. That's what happens when it all becomes about beliefs, right? You say, hey, um, you just say this prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart, and then you're saved. And then welcome to the club. Right? And then you believe these things, dot, 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 dot. You sit, we're, a lot of times the church acts like it's saving people unto doctrinal beliefs. And that just becomes this thing where we're just, it's like all about beliefs. Okay, well, I have all these beliefs, but I'm not at home. People, problem is that orphans can't bring people home. And orphans don't know their daddy. Right? Only sons and daughters can bring people home. And sons and daughters don't just know doctrinal beliefs. Sons and daughters know dad, right? So even when we're thinking evangelistically, I'm just using this as an example. I'm not trying to get someone to, like, conform with the correct doctrine. I'm trying to introduce them to their father, right? So then I'm not saving them into, like, a prayer or a creed or these beliefs. I'm saving them. I'm, I'm, like, evangelism is I'm bringing people home. 
The church isn't, isn't an orphanage. It's not about a bunch of orphans that just know all the right stuff. The church is a community that's literally founded upon and centered upon the manifold and manifest presence of Jesus. That's what we're here for. It's not to learn new information. It is to behold God. So then when people are getting saved, they're getting saved to a person. Then that person, Jesus, is going to teach them, what does it look like to love me? Oh, if you do these things, that hurts me. Oh, well, I'm in love with you. I don't want to hurt you. Yeah, right? That's growing in righteousness. That's where correct doctrine thinking comes in, in relationship with Jesus. But we can't start there. We've got to start with him which means we have to be sons and daughters that know what home is like, that know what it means to just live in that place. Because if we haven't been home, how are we going to bring people home? Right? And you say, I don't know, what do you mean the church is an orphanage? I have met a lot of orphans that have been in the church for a long time. And they can recite to me everything. But they are, when they get into here, it's pain. It's I'm afraid. I don't really hear God's voice. I don't know what connection is. I've had conversations with people extremely threatened by stories I've shared because I don't have a grid for that. I've never experienced that. I've, I don't even hear God's voice. I go, you don't hear his voice. It says in John 10, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. You've been walking with them for 30 years. You don't know his voice? Had other people, I, I don't remember the last time I've heard his voice. I tell people, if you say that, I don't remember the last time I heard his voice, you need to sign, sound the alarm. Like, rawr, 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 rawr. where are you going? Who are you following? Me? <laughs> sound the alarm. Don't follow me. We're following Jesus. And we each have a responsibility to hear from him because we're sons and daughters right, who hear from dad, who come to dad, who have access to dad all the time. We've got to go home. This is not the message. That's a rabbit trail. That one was free. Follow back, rearing home. Okay. We've got to know where home is. And home can, is a journey. In this life, home is a journey. Um, you're, at, you're at 2 Corinthians, yes? Okay. Let me turn there. Where's my bookmark? Okay, I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 1 through 8. It says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. Paul's talking about our bodies. He's using the allegory of a house. Uh, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight." We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I think Peter puts this same sentiment a little more succinctly in First Peter, Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. 
We're strangers and aliens in this life. We're not home. That's kind of a sobering reality and a painful truth, but we are not home. Our home uh, is, is with Jesus in the heavens, seeing him face to face. We were made for full communion with God. And where we are at now uh, is not at that place. Um, the pain that is called of this un- homesickness is the pain loneliness. That's the deep wound of mankind. And it is incurred because of the breach of communion. We were made to walk with him in a garden, hold the hand of God. Look into his eyes, hear his voice. He holds us, he walks with us, he eats with us. We're made for full communion with God. Nothing less, nothing more, full communion. That's home, and in a sense, we like spiritually have access to this place, right? But we're also in this earthly tent that's not home. Right? This isn't home, right? There's pain here, and the pain that we all experience, every single person in this room is Experiences loneliness. Can I get an amen? Loneliness is the deep wound, um, and it is the great pain of mankind. Jesus only verbalized his pain one time uh, on the cross when he experiences, finally, at the height of his crucifixion, the feeling of being forsaken by God. He was not, but he felt it because he could not experience communion with his Father because the weight of the sin of the world was upon him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's exclaiming is the pain of separation from God, the pain of this loneliness. You following me? We've been taught to despise this pain, uh, to ignore it even, um, and to do anything possible to alleviate our loneliness. Um, Look at the world today, the big industries. Um, We have video game industries. We have the porn industry. We have the drug industry. We have the social media. We have television. We have um, all these things that offer an escape from reality, right? Who has used something to escape from reality before? I have. Why are we escaping reality? Because it's painful, right? Because there's loneliness in our lives, and we don't like it. We want it to go away. We want to act like it's not there. We want to fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it with something. Fill it with relationship. Fill it with good things. Fill it with things I know aren't good things. Like, we'll do anything to try to take this pain away, but we don't want to accept it. We'll do anything but just Accept it sometimes. That's culture. That is American Western culture. Is we have money, we can create things, we have entrepreneurship, we have all these, this ability to create amazing things. And so let's do that. And we do it. Does it, fat, does it satisfy? No, we have the bright lights that everybody idolizes. We want to be just like them. And then we find out that they're an addiction and then they kill themselves. Whoa. You know, it's sobering when you look at, especially like a lot of these athletes, when they get past their sports, they're empty. Like Michael Jordan, I read something that said he still daydreams about going back to the NBA to win a championship because, quote, unquote, it was the only place I ever found peace. Right? He's lonely. Right? Everyone is lonely. And uh, this, 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 
despising of this pain, this like alleviating it, this taking it away. And with anything, including marriage, Christians love to think, Christian singles love to think, if I just get married, this loneliness will go away. Married couples, is that true? No, the loneliness doesn't go away. The posture of a Christian is not to ignore, it's not to disregard, it's not to alleviate it, it's to accept it. Uh, Henry Nouwen is a sage of a man. He's, he's not with us any longer. And this is a quote from him. This is a man, he was a celibate for his whole life. He said, the more I think about loneliness, the more I think the wound of loneliness is like the Grand Canyon, a deep incision in the surface of our existence, which has become an inexhaustible source of beauty and self-understanding. I'm going to read that again. The more I think about loneliness, the more I think the wound of loneliness is like the Grand Canyon, a deep incision in the surface of our existence, which has become an inexhaustible source of beauty and self-understanding. How can a wound be classified as beautiful? How can something so painful, so all-encompassing, be inexhaustibly beautiful. We're going to look at the cross for that answer. The cross, in my opinion, is the greatest act of hospitality that ever happened. Jesus, a lot of times we think and mistake that Jesus went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. That's not true. He tells us the cost of discipleship is to carry your cross daily. Paul says, I die daily. The cross is part of our reality. We're called to go to the cross ourselves. Jesus didn't go so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus went to the cross so that when we went ourselves, we wouldn't be alone. What Jesse shared. He's with us always. He went there so we wouldn't be alone. And the reality of the cross is that Jesus didn't go there because of his own sin. He went there because of us. He went there and every pain and wound and piercing that he received, um, it, was, it was a physical representation of sin, right? And it wasn't his sin. It was our sin. And so he went there to, so that when we get there ourselves in the midst of our brokenness and pain, we have a friend in Jesus and we're not alone, right? He simply went there to be with us in the place of our brokenness. The wages of sin are death, right? But Jesus came to give abundant life. He did not remove the stumbling block of the cross from Christianity. He set it before us, and he's called us to carry it ourselves. And A.W. Tozier says there's a lot of different types of crosses. He said there's crosses made of diamonds, there's crosses made of feathers, there's crosses made of wood, there's crosses made of steel. He said it doesn't matter the circumstance, it doesn't matter how much fame or no fame, or how much money or no money, or how much privilege or no privilege. He says it doesn't matter what type of life you go through, what type of existence you have, what type of Christian you are. He said God has a cross for you and it's custom made for you. And it was made to do one thing, to kill you. And he has full plans to resurrect you. But he's got to get the selfishness out of the way, right? And he didn't, he, he, he's, he's compassionate. He's hospitable even in that place. So Jesus is receiving all these wounds while he's there. Lots of them. He was beaten beyond recognition. The deepest wound that he received was a spear to his side. Is anybody familiar with this? It says that he's on the cross. They 
pierce him through, and out of the womb comes blood and water. So this is kind of an interesting passage. If you back all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the creation account of man and woman, Adam also received a deep wound on his side. The Lord caused him to go to sleep, and it says he, he entered into his side, and he pulled like a rib out, and it was out of that that he created Eve. So out of Adam's wound, he actually received his bride. Follow with me here. Jesus is on a cross in, a, in an act of hospitality so that he could bring us the healing presence of God, even in the wretchedness of our brokenness. He gets wounded on his side, and out of his side comes blood and water, which is a promise that when we, rather than avoid the Grand Canyon of our loneliness, when we actually enter in to our pain and our wounds, we will find the cleansing flow and the resurrecting power of his blood. By his blood we're saved and redeemed, by we're washed in the waters of baptism and we're made whole. Jesus is saying, right here is where I received my bride. Right? The piercing of his side was what actually the, was when the veil was torn. Paul says the veil was torn, it's the piercing of his side. He was pierced for our transgressions, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He made a way back into the presence of God. He received his bride through his wound because we find the healing, cleansing flow of Jesus from the place of his great pain, right? Which was actually our wound. He just went there first so that when we journey ourselves into it, into our brokenness, guess who we're gonna find there? Jesus, because he's already gone. He's already stepped before. He, he already went there. And his blood and his water is still flowing for those that will go there themselves. And will we'll, we'll enter into this place and start looking and facing at their brokenness instead of trying to run from it and avoid it and medicate it away and put band-aids on it. No, I'm going to go there and I'm going to experience my pain and I'm going to find the healer. This is, Amen. This is kind of gross, right? Anybody? That's disgusting. You're telling me through the wound I find healing? It, it is kind of different, that's for sure. Uh, it's an upside-down kingdom, right? And Jesus, in Isaiah 53, says, by his wounds were healed. Did you ever think about why? By his wounds were healed. It's this upside down kingdom where out of the wounds of God, the healing flows. In the place where we go and face our brokenness, we find the healing. It's upside down. Now, I do want to differentiate here. It's not wounded. It's not like wounded in the sense of like a wounded animal that's crying out for help. That's not going to heal anybody. Right? A wounded healer is someone that has gone there found the love of Jesus, found the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Right? No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. When you walk into your brokenness and you find his love there, you get whole, right? This is what happens. This is what a wounded healer is. This is what Jesus did on the cross. When we have the courage to walk into this step by 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 step, it's a long journey of healing and we find wholeness we find we start to possess this capacity 
that we have space within us because I've gone here that I can bring you into this sacred space where I encountered the healing of Jesus. I can't heal you, but I can share with you his words, his movement. I, can, I, have, a, I have a space that you can come find home. I can be hospitable with you because it's not all about me. I'm not just spewing in my pain anymore. I found the healer here. So here's this space. You can come in here, and I can't heal you, but I can bring you to dad, and he's a healer, right? Hospitality is healing. That's why we go to hospitals to get whole, right? That's the whole root word of this. It's healing. There's something healing about home. There's something healing about the presence of Papa, Right? And when you go, you, you find, all of a sudden, you have this capacity you didn't possess before. You can't heal anybody, but you can share language. You can share stories. I can invite you, and you can find your own, you, you can find definition to your pain in me. Right? This sounds like kind of, this looks really practical. Like, I can meet with you and sit across a table with you, and you can share your pain and I can share out of the treasure of what happened as I journeyed into my wounds. The light starts going off. That gives definition to things I've been experiencing. That gives language to things I've never thought about. That gives me hope where I only had despair, right? And lights start shifting. People start saying, this is changing my life. I'm experiencing pain right now. Let me give you an example. I was in New York City. The last time I'd been there was uh, seven years ago. It was the last time I was with my parents before they separated. Seven years later, I'm sitting there. I see a girl sitting in a park. The Lord says, I want you to go speak to her, and he gives me a word. I sit down. And I say, hey, this sounds weird, but I'm a Christian, and God talks to me, and I have a word for you. I shared it for her, and she looks at me and goes, this is kind of crazy. She goes, and I don't I don't know why, but I feel like I need to tell you something right now. And I go, okay. She goes, I haven't told anybody this. She's like, but I'm a Christian, and I've been questioning everything about God because my parents are going through a divorce right now, and I don't know where he is, and I don't know what's happening. Starts describing her hopelessness to me. And I just got to sit there and say, can I tell you a story of the faithfulness of God? And I literally just, I brought her in to the sacred space where the Lord healed me with his words and with his loving kindness. The places that he held me in my despair. The places where I watched everything I know shake and fall to the ground and break. And I watched him hold me through it and walk me through it on a seven-year journey of healing my heart. And I gave it to her and she looked at me at the end and she was like, I've never been this happy. I've, I've, she's like, I've never been so happy. She's like, this is the best Monday of my life. I'm so happy. She's like, can I take a Snapchat with you? And I was like, sure. She starts taking pictures of me, doing all this stuff. She was so happy. She didn't know what to do. Why? I didn't heal her. I don't have any power in me. I don't, ha I don't have something to heal. But I can give you my sacred space. I can give you the language and the stories and my history of what God did right here in this same pain. Are you following me? I brought her home. I let her experience dad in that moment because I had the capacity because I'd already gone there. Are you following me? That's wounded healers. We are all called to be wounded healers. And wounded healers doesn't look like this triumphalism where you're going around with the power. Right? That happens sometimes. God just moves 
and blows in a place. But I promise you, the man or the woman behind the healing flow of God is always someone that is broken and contrite and has walked and, and sat in that canyon and, 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 and searched for Jesus until they found him. And when you find him, when you find that blood and that water, something happens to you and you have a capacity. Amen? I believe the best way to identify church and family in this life is pilgrims on a journey. We like to think static. Let's get a church building, right? Like we're a building and we're building things and we like towers and we like consistency because the safety and the security that it brings. But that's not, that's not what the people of God are in this life. We are pilgrims on a journey. And if we ever decide to just kind of camp in this place of our own sanctification process, in our own healing journey with God, once we camp, um, it's like the road to Emmaus, where Jesus is walking with the disciples, and they are tired and hungry, and they stop. And the author makes sure to point out, it says, but Jesus intended to go further. And I believe in this life, um, for our, 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 our primary, our most, the way that we see the most of God in this life is if we continue and we remain pilgrims on a journey that keep walking with Jesus down the road. Once we stop and become static, we kind of just, we close ourselves off to the grace, the new grace of what God wants to do. I, when, when everything hit the fan, it was, it's kind of crazy. I feel like I'm starting to get like older, but it's almost been a decade since everything changed in my life with God and things got very, very intense. Went through a very broken season, um, a lot of questions, a lot of agony. And in that place, I found Jesus. Well, he found me in a real way. It started, he encountered me, but it just got progressively deeper to this place where I, I began to know him. I began, there was something more than everything I'd been told. It wasn't doctrine anymore. I was experiencing his manifold and manifest presence in a way that was changing me. And I knew it, and the people that were closest to me knew it. I didn't know, I didn't have language for it. I didn't have definition for it. I just knew that there was somebody, and he was capturing my heart, right? And the first thing you do when you experience God like that is you want to go tell everybody, right? So like, my first, like, five years of walking with Jesus in a real intentional way were very lonely because of darkness, because of pain, because of isolation, because of depression, because of tragedy, because of a lot of stuff. They were lonely. And, and because of the depth of that loneliness, something in me, I said, okay, I'm on a knife point. I'm either going to medicate with everything the world can give me. Literally, this was an 18-month journey in my life. I didn't know which way I was going to go. I'm walking a knife point. I'm either going to go and medicate with everything the world can offer me because nothing will touch the depth of pain that I'm experiencing right now. So I'm gonna do my very best to clog this wound so that I don't just have to be a weeping, bleeding animal every night, because that's what I felt like. For, for, it wasn't just days, it wasn't months, it was years. I felt like a wounded animal that all I could do is spew and weep and spew and weep. And I hurt people, I caused issues throughout that life. I look back just like, ugh, I can't believe I did that. But as I was bleeding and I was not healthy, right? But I chose... Or, you're going to meet me. 
And the Lord would tell me, Jordan, every time I would pray, he'd say the same thing. He'd say, I want you to suffer well. I want you to suffer well. And he would encourage my heart and give me just what I needed to keep going. And Okay, where are you? And I chose, just by his grace, I chose, you're going to come for me. You have to come for me. You have to come for me. And he came for me. I wept through an entire night, literally an entire night. He came for me in the morning, and my life radically changed. I had an encounter with the love of Jesus that forever changed my life. It was November 4th of 2009. I'll never forget the day. It was probably 5 in the morning. And he met me, and something inside me changed. And I wasn't so lonely anymore. I'd experienced home. For the first time in my life, I'd experienced home, and I wanted everyone to know. Because it was amazing. Thank you. This is a recurring theme. I'm not preaching. I told someone last week, I was like, you know, that's the most vulnerable sermon I ever preached. I want to be funny. I really want to be funny. I don't want to cry. I want to be funny. So whatever the next sermon series is, it's going to be real funny. I'm going to have lots of jokes. It's going to be amazing. Okay, where was I? I wanted everyone to know. So I started going and telling everybody, this is what God's doing. I started seeing things. I started seeing miracles. I started having experiences. I was so in love, and I still am so in love with Jesus that it just takes me places. It takes me on journeys. What I've seen, I can't describe, but I want other people to know. But this is what I found. I started going back, and I started telling people that were static. They'd kind of had their, I'm all camped out. This is where I am. This is what relationship with God looks like. They kind of had this nice comfortable Christianity. I started telling them, I'm like, down the road, hey, 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 listen, this is crazy, da, 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 da. And I started finding they reject me. They didn't want to know. They didn't want to hear. That broke my heart. So like the next few years, we're just like, oh, I was lonely. Then I found home. But now that's making me lonely too because they don't want to know. They don't want to hear. And it, it put this deep, ache inside me and this it put a dream inside me and this is this is really what compelled me to church I had the last thing I wanted to do was lead church honestly it's not like a joke I did not want to be a pastor right but this is why God put a deep desire inside me to live in a community of people to live and to create and to see a family that just wants to see the fullness of God in this life that is unafraid to experience homesickness together, but to journey in that direction and to see his glory. That's unafraid to see the depths of his, of, of his love, his suffering love, so that we can journey together into the heights of his love. My dream, what I get excited about is thinking about my children and my grandchildren raising up with your children and grandchildren as we're pilgriming together into the heights of God's love. I don't want to be static. I don't want to stop. I want to go to those places. I want to go home together in this life. And I believe the church, in, in a very pure expression of what church is, it is a pilgrims on a journey. What are we journeying into? Our pain and his, and, and his healing, right? Our, our brokenness and his beauty, our wounds and his beauty, our weakness and his power. That's what we're journeying into. That's my dream. That's what I believe. But you can't be static, right? You have to just keep walking keep walking because the reality is the loneliness never goes away and we can't take each other's loneliness away we have the most amazing community here but i know how many how many feel lonely 
How many have lonely nights? How many have lonely moments? Right? How many have times where you just feel like nobody understands you? Right? It's because you were made for perfect communion with God. And everything less than that is so painful. It's so painful. It's like that Hercules movie when he keeps talking to Zeus. He's like, when can I come home? Like that's the ache of every human being. That is what drives us at a very fundamental level every decision we make. I want to be known. All right? The gift, we can't heal each other. We can't take that ache away. But we can. We can walk together as a people of hospitality and we can share the sacred space of the stories and the movements and language and the words that God's gifted us on this sacred path up the mountain of God. You following me? This is exciting. This is scary, but it's exciting because we can share, we can create space within us as wounded healers where as a community, we bring people and we walk together and we, don't, we have fellowship even in our suffering and we have fellowship in the glory of God. That's exciting, right? We can't have home. We're, we're, we're not home, but we can see home come. All right, I'm gonna end with this. Jeremiah 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read verse 616. But the chapter, it's a chapter talking about God's not happy with Jerusalem. He's not happy with his church. This is talking about that there's all this wickedness. And then in verse 7, he says, sickness and wounds are ever before me. Okay, sickness and wounds are ever before me. This is then God's complaint a few verses later. He says, For the least of them to the greatest of them, they're greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They've healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there's no peace. He's accusing, he's saying, you guys are putting band-aids on your wounds, and I'm tired of it. It just, it's just a big mess to me. It's just wickedness. You're just, you're trying to fill your pain with all this stuff. You're not just looking. He's talking to the church leaders. He's talking to the, to the, to the community leaders. He's saying, what are you doing? You're trying to band-aid these wounds. You can't. I'm the healer. And you're sinning because of it. And he's just, he's fed up. And then there's this, as there always is in prophetic literature, this, this beacon of hope in verse 16. And this is what the Lord says. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. I believe that the ancient path is right back into your brokenness. It's Walking into the wounds and the pain and embracing it as real. And, and instead of the moments where you're experiencing the disturbance, turning outside to try to fill it and take it away. Sitting there. Saying, okay, I'm going to stand and look for the ancient paths. And I'm going to walk in it. 
And I believe that as I walk in this, you're not gonna leave me or forsake me because you already went for the cross so that when I go there, I'll find your healing, cleansing flow. Oh, precious is the blood of the lamb, right? Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white. It's no, the cleansing flow. It's the blood. That's our only hope. But we've got to go there. And I don't just want us to go there individually. I want us to go there together and be pilgrims on a journey on this ancient path where we'll find him. He's already gone. He's already prepared the way. He has all the grace, all the healing that we need. We just have to choose to walk in it together. Once we camp out, say, oh, this is good. I'm sanctified. I'm holy. I'm good. I know you. I stopped doing those things I didn't want to do. I'm good. All right, we stop there. We stop. And Jesus is saying, I still want to go further. I still want to go deeper. I still want to go higher. He wants to take us up the mountain with him. He wants us to be a place, a people of communion. And this is what I think happens as we say this, yes and yes and yes. We journey, yes, into our weakness, but into his power. We journey into our woundings, but it's into his beauty. We journey into our our pain, but it's his healing. We journey into all the stuff that's real in this life that's not good, but we find him and we start seeing heaven come to earth in a community. And what's everybody looking for? Home. That's a community of hospitality. That is the suffering love of the cross. In the same way that by his wounds we're healed. Jesus wants to pour out of the places where we were wounded and we found healing, his healing cleansing flow. And we will see miracles come from that place. You will see his power flow. You will see him use you to do impossible things. But it's not because of your greatness. It's because of your weakness. Amen? Um, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to do a worship song. We'll just mess everything up tonight. I just want to do it... Um, I'm going to close service. I want to pray. But this is, this is the, the only response that I want. And then um, is, this just kept coming to me all week, is if you want to take your shoes off and just come put them on the stage. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think uh, blessed, I, the, because you're saying I'm going to go. Blessed are the feet that bring good news. Like, I'm going to go. It's, a, it's an action statement saying I'm going to go. So we can turn the lights down. Maybe we will have a song that actually sounds nice. <laughs> As you can see, this is super prepared. Um, but if you want, I just, just put your shoes up. Um, yeah, and you, you, don't, you don't have to do it. If you've got high heels that take 10 minutes to take off, I don't know. But I want us to do it as a posture, just saying, Jesus, like I'm in, I'm in, I'm a pilgrim on the journey, and I'm in. Um, I don't understand. People say, why do you do things like this? Uh, there's power in prophetic acts. Uh, it's all throughout Scripture. It's the same reason as why do you get baptized? Nothing happens in the water. Why do you eat communion? Does the cracker really his? No. Right? It's symbolic, but there's power in symbolism, and it's actually saying something to God. So um, I'm just going to pray, and then you can come forward. Jesus, we want to be pilgrims on a journey. I pray, God, that you give us courage as a people to face our pain, God, to walk into the places of our wounds, God, and to find the healer. God, I thank you that you've designed it so that our whole life we're dependent upon you, that even in the greatest family or the greatest community or the greatest church, we cannot take away this pain, God. 
Only you can. But Lord, I thank you that you've given us the ability to comfort and encourage and, and love and be hospital to one another along the way. God, may we be people that go the distance, that walk a long walk with you. God, that walk a multi-generational walk with you. God, may we be pilgrims that walk and journey so deep. We want to we wanna pioneer into your heart, God. We want to go to places that, that, that man hasn't been yet, God. We want to see what you're doing today in the earth. We want to see the great and mighty things that you have in store for those who love God. We want to see the heights of your love, God, and the, and the enormity of your power, God, on full display. We want to see you manifest yourself like you did to Israel of old. We want to see the day where your glory invaded your temple so that the priest could not pick themselves off the ground. God, we want to see, we want to see what David saw. We want to see what Moses saw on the mountain, God. We want to see what Peter saw on the water. God, we want your fullness of who you are and nothing less, God. We didn't sign up for halfway or for mediocrity, God. A.W. Tozer said, give me all of God or give me nothing. And Lord, that's what we're trying to say to you tonight, God, in the brokenness of our language and the incompleteness of our expression, God. We're trying to say, Lord, we want it all. And so, Lord, we give it all. And we're saying tonight that we'll go because we're compelled.